Jesus has a way of upending traditional theology and social norms. He eats dinner with tax collectors and sex workers, breaks Jewish dietary restrictions, and turns the usual orthodoxies upside down. This is especially true in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus behaves both erratically and radically. And in this text, he reverses our understanding of hierarchical power structures. It is not the servant nor the slave who is supposed to serve the rich and powerful, but rather the other way around. This is a reading from the Gospel of Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So I got my first paying job when I was about 15 years old. Being the epitome of unskilled labor, I uh, didn't have many options. I flat out refused to work at a fast food joint because I could see that life behind that counter was a special kind of hell. The grease and the heat were bad enough, evidenced by the rivulets of sweat that you could see on everyone's faces and the stains on their company-branded polo shirts. But the customers, at times, were even worse. Now I was fortunate, being just a kid, to have the luxury of choice in the matter. I didn't need the money. My parents just insisted that I find a job because it built character. So I was eventually hired as a stock boy for a little independent grocery store called Town & Country Market. I was working for, I believe it was $4.27 an hour, which was the minimum wage uh, at that time in the mid-90s. 
Uh, it wasn't so bad, comparatively speaking. It was a relatively casual environment. I could wear jeans and a t-shirt to work and my coworkers were all pretty nice. I mean, you know, stocking shelves is dreary work, but the assistant manager, who's a pretty cool guy, also let us play football in the aisles after hours. That is until someone accidentally threw the pigskin into the deli counter where it smashed through the glass and lodged itself in a pimento loaf. Now the next morning, the assistant manager told the big boss uh, that he was mopping the floor so passionately, so strenuously, that the mop handle hit the glass and broke it. The manager was so impressed with his dedication that the incident was immediately forgiven. All in all, it was a pretty good place to work. But that changed when I was promoted to working the cash register and ringing out customers. You see, once you're actually handling people's money and that money changes hands, everything changes. The dynamic shifts. Some people, once they pay you to do something or once they hand you their money, feel like they own you or at least a part of you, you know, your time, your effort, whatever you want to call it. And some people believe that this gives them the right to berate you for the slightest failures. You're now in their service, and that service had better fulfill their expectations or there's going to be trouble. Look, I get that it's frustrating when people give you the wrong change or when they screw up your order or whatever. I actually left a negative review uh, of McDonald's online after they'd forgotten something for the umpteenth time. Once again, I lamented, my chicken nuggets are missing. No other establishment could survive when they get the order wrong 90% of the time. I felt a little better after posting that, like some kind of vigilante justice had been done until I returned to the bag of food to find the missing chicken nuggets under a generous stack of napkins. I was perusing the Next Door app a few days ago, you know, the local social media app where folks in your neighborhood chat about stuff and argue with each other. When I saw a troubling post, it read, my daughter is the manager of a fast food establishment. She is short-staffed, as is every other place in her area. Her staff works their hardest to keep up with demand and get things right. Sometimes things don't go as planned. Every day, she gets berated by a customer. She was criticized because her staff isn't friendly. Can you see the smile behind the mask? Can we all try to be more understanding? Can we be civil? Perhaps our notions of service are a little bit warped. We believe that it's strictly transactional, something you pay for, when in fact, we are all human beings. We're called to serve each other. This text from the Gospel of Mark is a powerful one, really, if we can recognize just how radical it is. Two of the disciples, James and John, they ask Jesus, if they can reign with him in heaven, sitting on either side of him when he ascends to the throne of glory. 
And naturally, when the other disciples catch wind of this naked power grab, they are furious. But Jesus, always full of surprises, tells them that things work differently in his world. You know that among the Gentiles, those who they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. And those whom they recognize as great are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. Now this text has been used in bad faith to justify the practice of slavery, which is beyond unfortunate. But that's not what Jesus is saying here at all. He's saying that you and I must serve one another, especially the people that are traditionally viewed as being lower on the social ladder. Now for Jesus, that was the leper, the prostitute, and the poor. For us, perhaps, it's the minimum wage fast food worker, the waitress, the person who cleans your house, or the kid that mows your lawn. Of course, we expect anyone who's paid to do a job to do it reasonably well, but we can still serve those people by paying them a good wage, tipping generously, and demonstrating appreciation and compassion, even when they get something wrong, especially when they get something wrong, or when they're just barely holding it together, as so many folks are nowadays. Jesus turns the very notion of service on its head. It's not something transactional, something to lord over one another. It's something that we are all called to give each other freely. Can you see the smile behind the mask? That woman I'd mentioned wrote. We cannot. Nor can we see the pain that these essential workers might be enduring as we all are, each in our own way. You can't throw a rock these days without hitting a help-wanted sign in someone's window. I mean, maybe you shouldn't be throwing rocks at windows, but that's a topic for another sermon. Everyone is short-staffed right now. We all know this. Everything is in short supply. Lines are longer, inventory is sitting on massive cargo ships without enough people to unload or transport it. Businesses just cannot seem to find enough people willing to work for them despite massive numbers of folks being out of work. Something just doesn't add up. Some people will tell you that folks are just lazy, that they can earn more from an unemployment check than working a minimum wage job. That last part is probably true, but that's the problem, isn't it? A lot of places simply aren't paying enough or offering benefits or even dignity. You can hardly blame folks for refusing to work when they can't get a living wage or when the cost of childcare absorbs most of their paycheck. The satirical news site McSweeney's recently published an article called We Will Do Anything to Get You to Work for Us Except Pay You Enough. Look, it's not about the money for us, the fictional employer writes. Never has been. It's about passion. It's about community. It's about teamwork. It's about making you think it's not about the money for us, when it's actually all about the money for us, and specifically, not about the money for you. 
Now look, I'm not blaming little mom and pop shops like the good old town and country market, which went out of business 15 years ago. But the big corporations with enormous profit margins can do better. It's no secret that wages have stagnated over the past few decades while costs have skyrocketed. According to Forbes, 63% of Americans have less than $500 in their savings account, if they have one at all. Life is precarious for so many people. And the ones who do show up to work to earn a meager wage often get screamed at or exposed to COVID or both when it comes to belligerent customers who refuse to wear a mask. We feel like these people owe us something because they earn $11 an hour like they do at Jewel Osco. But maybe we owe them something, you know, just for showing up and wringing out our groceries and putting up with the collective angst of a society on edge. I did some traveling this summer with my son Levi while I was on sabbatical, but I realized a little too late that I had never actually budgeted anything for these road trips. So in an effort to subsidize these adventures, I decided to deliver food for DoorDash for a couple of weeks. I used the service a lot myself, so I figured I'd experience, you know, what the other side of the coin is like. And let me tell you, it gave me a whole new perspective on the gig economy and the sheer fragility of life for a lot of folks. I figured this would be easy money, you know, drive around, deliver some sandwiches, maybe a pizza, get paid. But the system is designed to squeeze as much effort out of you for as little reward as possible. You don't know what any given delivery is going to pay until you complete it. So you got to take your chances. Once a request comes in through the app, you have about 15 seconds to decide if you're going to accept it or not. And if you don't, it hurts your rating and the algorithm sends you fewer jobs. Every delivery is a gamble. And friends, they seldom pay off. The company doesn't pay well and I hate to say it, but most people are lousy tippers. As I was sitting in my car one hot summer afternoon, an order came through for a delivery from Walmart. You see, DoorDash doesn't just deliver fast food, they deliver groceries too. Now the app told me that I was supposed to pick up 57 items. Now I didn't think that sounded too bad until I got there and realized that every bag of groceries counts as one item. The guy at Walmart, he wheels out this massive cart, okay, you know, filled with hundreds of, of uh, items, some of them quite large, two cases of bottled water, three cases of Gatorade, and the 50 or so bags of sundries. I could barely fit it all in my car. And when I arrived at the residence, I realized with horror that it was a second floor apartment. <laughs> Friends, it took me eight trips to deliver all of those groceries. Neither the guy who placed the order nor his teenage sons offered to help. All in all, I spent about an hour going to Walmart, loading up the car, driving to the place, unloading everything at this guy's apartment. For my efforts, DoorDash paid me about five bucks. And the tip? Huh. Nothing. Here's a tip. Don't drive for DoorDash. So the next day, uh, my kids were hounding me for McDonald's. 
so I ordered some on DoorDash. That sad meal cost me as much as I had earned working for them the day before. None of us can single-handedly improve working conditions or pay for the millions of Americans that can scarcely make ends meet. But we can advocate for them. We can adopt an attitude of service rather than demanding it from other people, remembering that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. We can be kind to the other people on the side of the proverbial counter. We can tip generously. We can be patient with them when they're short-staffed. We can serve them simply by treating them like human beings. Jesus would have washed their feet. Would I? Would you? Amen.